Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Change in the Climate podcast. Of course, as you know, this show is brought to you by Climate Change Realty, the only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its commissions to nonprofits dedicated to fighting climate change. If you are looking to create climate action on your next real estate transaction, all you have to do is visit ccrealty.org, and we will find you an agent in your area who's willing to offer 50% of their commissions to help save the planet. Now let's dive into the podcast. Tegan, really great to meet you, man. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. And you know, we always like to get the podcast started with some background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, so my name is Tegan. I'm uh, originally I'm from New York. I also lived in Silicon Valley for a little while. Um, been working in startups for about the past ten years. So I like to say I've, I've never had a real job. I've been working on kind of building ideas and trying to take them from scratch and kind of grow them into some some bigger cooler things. So that's been a that's been a lot of fun. Um, in 2020, a company I had been working on building for about probably I don't know two and a half years. We were supposed to uh, close uh, our first like big investment. I was finally supposed to make it. Uh, you know, get a little over a million dollars in funding. Um, and that, uh, was in March of 2020, uh, the same week I was supposed to get the money, COVID, uh, shuts everything down. Right. <laughs> and on all of a sudden, instead of having a budget to work with and all kinds of cool stuff, uh, I had to redefine what I was working on and what it was all going to be about. And, and I think like a lot of people during that time, we kind of did some soul searching on what we want to do with our time and life. And, and that was kind of the birth of Worthmore, the current company I'm working on. Gotcha. And what did you go to school for originally? So I studied uh, computer engineering and industrial design. Um, actually, ironically, the thing that I wanted to do back in the day was design the next iPhone. <laughs> so I thought it would be so mm. cool to uh, to help design the thing that we, you know, is in everybody's pockets and, you know, is an integral part of so many people's lives. Uh, I thought it would be really awesome to be like, yeah, I helped build that and make that a possibility. So. So when the, you say the next iPhone, you don't necessarily mean like a phone. It could be like a computer chip in your brain or like a Google Glass type thing. You just want it to be on the, the forefront of innovation kind of thing? Uh, well, I mean, at that time, that was the foref forefront of innovation. I mean, this was back in 2010, right? So so yeah, so when I when I said the next one, I, like, I wanted to be on the iPhone like 5, the team that built that, okay. you know? And, and of course, uh, being... Yeah, yeah, I'm very entrepreneurial, and I like to be on the forefront of tech and this kind of thing. But but back then, it was new and novel. <laughs> it was, man. No, I remember when the iPhone 5 came out. I think it was iPhone, and then it went straight to like iPhone 3G, and then 4, and yeah. the 5 was a big was a big improvement. It, it not, I think yeah. it's a little bit more incremental these days, but it, I guess it depends on the year. I remember I got the 5, and I was like, whoa. This thing is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um what what was the first startup company that you were working for? If you said you've worked for several. Um, so the first that was my own or the first I was working for it because they're slightly different, but um The first you were working for. The first you were working for, yeah. Yeah, so the first that I was working for, I did a little bit of work with uh, Pebble, the smartwatch company. So that was uh, pretty interesting. I was uh, part of their like design team and things like this. This was also before smartwatches were a thing like apple watch and android Wear. they weren't out yet and they were launching a kickstarter for wearables and that was uh, out in silicon valley um i've also uh, worked at a company that was called id tech camps they're not really a startup i would say they're just a couple years old but they were uh, they grew to the largest um, tech camp for kids and teens across the united states they put their 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 camp was held at the like ivy league schools so I was actually a director of the uh, camp at Stanford University, uh, where I was managing about 5,000 kids and 80 staff members as they went through learning about uh, STEM skills uh, over the summer. So Whoa. that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Definitely. And then how did you yeah. eventually find yourself in um, Denmark? Did you do some sort of study abroad when you went to school or how did that end up coming uh, about? Yeah, no, it's funny, actually. Uh, my, my program at university had a study abroad program in Copenhagen, but uh, I wasn't uh, rich enough to afford it. So I didn't go to the study abroad program, uh, which is ironic now I live here, right? But um, no, what happened was I, I met a Danish girl, actually. And uh, so just oh, met her uh, while she was, uh, yeah, she was traveling. And then, you know, we kind of connected talked back and forth online for a while. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to, 
actually, I didn't uh, even have a passport. I was like, I'm going to get my passport and I'm going to go out and, and check out Denmark. Um, yeah, and I just sort of, uh, I, I came on New Year's. Uh, Denmark on New Year's is completely insane. Uh, fireworks are legal and they like are exploding them in the middle of the street and everybody is, you know, having a big party. And so, so I was like, wow, this, this country is awesome. I love it here. So <laughs> it was a great time and a great introduction to, you know, Europe and a different culture, culture shock, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I sort of fell in love with uh, yeah, both the country and the girl and then, and then decided to move out to uh, a year later, I moved out to Denmark after we had dated long distance for a year. So that was the journey. <laughs> Yeah. It, oh, was a, it was a so, bit, bit crazy. So cool. No, <laughs> no, it's not crazy. I mean, well, you're talking to someone who is crazy. So I guess that my perspective yeah. doesn't really matter. But I, I think that's like the coolest, most awesome story ever. Um, you, you met this girl while you were, where were you traveling when you met her? No, so, the, so actually she was traveling uh, to the US. So it was in California. So oh, that's where I uh, okay. connect. Yeah, so. Yeah, so that's uh, that happens, and then uh, yeah, and then we yeah we we meet in Denmark, and uh, probably about four months later for the first time uh, here, and then yeah, uh, meeting her family and meeting all the kind of crazy things. So it was, it was like thrown right into the thick of things. Uh, you know, day one in Denmark was uh, was crazy, and uh, yeah, and then you know I, I really you know after exploring the country a bit and learning about the ecosystem and the startups and things that were happening out here, it, it really resonated with me. So. I ended up uh, getting a job at a startup out here um, instead, okay. and yeah, and then I was been a part of the Danish startup scene since I arrived, basically. So yeah, so how does the Danish startup scene compare to what uh, the community you were working in in Silicon Valley? I'd very be very curious to hear more about that. Yeah, so I would say that um, it's definitely. Uh, I, I would say that if you're a first-time founder or you're a founder who doesn't come from an Ivy League school or have a small loan of a million dollars from your dad to kind of help get you started. Um, you know, Silicon Valley is a very difficult place to exist. It's really hard to cut through the noise and the traffic. And then on top of that, it's very, um, driven by money and driven by, you know, uh, 80 hour work weeks and pushing yourself to the limits and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's, it's a, it's a whole different universe than I think where even a lot of the USA is like, you know, living and operating at. Um, and Denmark is almost like the exact inverse of this whole thing, right? So right. they are uh, total work-life balance, you know, like everybody's out of the office by four o'clock in the afternoon. And if you're staying late, you're weird and you should go home and spend time with your family, you know, like whatever. Uh, and, and then on top of that, the motivations for people are much different. It's not about the money. It's about purpose. And it's about, uh, you know, really having, and it comes from a level of comfort that I think they just have out here that is a little bit. I think sometimes most people take it for granted out here. They don't even know how good it is that they have it. Um, but because of that comfort, they're, they're able to just relax and work on things that they really want to work on and care about. Um, and that's kind of what startups are supposed to be about for me is that you can, you know, work on the things that you're passionate about and, and you know, kind of love your job. Um, and so even the normal jobs out here are like startup jobs in the U.S., I feel. <laughs> and then when you go into the startup scene, I think they're very, um, they're much more focused on creating companies that are about impact and about like uh, uh, clean tech, about the med tech, you know, industries that are genuinely trying to make the world a better place and not just make a quick dollar. And uh, and I think that the companies and the people who run them and stuff like that have been much more authentic uh, and, and things and an ecosystem that I wanted to be a part of, you know, kind of uh, as soon as I learned more about it. Yeah, sounds pretty uh, intriguing to me, or, or really would draw me in. That's the kind of community I, I would appreciate. I know I'm kind of, I am kind of in like the the hustle hard phase, though for sure. But I totally <laughs> respect the work life balance. Like I'm someone who wants to work a lot, but if I had employees working for the company, I'd be much, I'd I'd want them to work at like get off at four o'clock or work like a thirty hour week because not everyone is like the crazy entrepreneur like want to work all the time but they, people do want to be involved in meaningful projects before we get into talking about worth more i i as we were discussing before the podcast i did move to europe for um what six months after i graduated and i'm curious how you how, how the visa situation worked how you were able to to stay in denmark as an american because i i couldn't nobody wanted me they wanted they wanted to send me back send the american back home 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, they they keep trying to send me back home every two years. So <laughs> I'm on a I'm on a very special <laughs> I'm on a very special visa out here in Denmark called the Startup Denmark visa. And I actually write a lot about this on my LinkedIn. Oh. I'm a, I'm a consultant for this visa. So the uh, the Startup Denmark visa essentially uh, essentially allows uh, people from outside the EU to move to Denmark and launch and run their business and get a visa to do so. So uh, so I, I moved out here on this visa, and then it was so difficult to get that I actually ended up sort of building a side hustle around helping people move here on the visa and, and land in Denmark in a safe way awesome. and a, in a comfortable way. So, so yeah, I mean, I wrote about, uh, I just wrote about it once on LinkedIn, like had an article and that I kind of typed up and then it sort of went, uh, I'd say semi-viral. <laughs> so now if you Google like startup Denmark visa or whatever, my name is on the first like page of results. Like this is how and why to get the startup Denmark visa. Um, and I think that um, that really allowed me to yeah, kind of work and operate here as long as I have. So now I've been out here almost seven years and I've been on that visa the entire time. However, it's a very difficult visa. You know, you have to getting a business or getting a startup to run for seven years is like that's a that's a feat in itself. You know, uh, so mo- it, it, you have okay. to really want to live in Denmark. You want to really have to fight to stay here, uh, um, you know all your paperwork's going to come to you in Danish. You need to learn Danish. You know, there's, there's so many things, so I don't recommend it unless you genuinely have a, a passion for being in the country because it's it's like playing the startup game on level 12 and playing the startup game is already, you know, playing right. life on expert. So <laughs> so you just make it more difficult Agreed. for yourself, right? So, yeah. But I love it. I, I love it the whole part. There's no fight too hard for love, clearly, and that seems to be what, what motivates you in both your business life and personal. So I, I highly respect it, man. I think that's awesome. Like you're out Thank there you. living the Thank dream. And it would it would appear that you you've always been interested in in telecoms, like the telecoms industry since you were like in your youth working, right? It's just something that you've always been wanting to be a part of. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I didn't think about it until recently, but yeah. I mean, it's been slowly increasing more and more. I think the smartphone was such a device that like, yeah, inspired me in my youth. I remember like reading about the first iPhone and being like, this is going to change everything. And nobody really getting it at that point. It was like a year before the iPhone even came out. I was like, no, like you're going to have like a computer in your pocket, you know, uh, and and that's going to that's gonna be really, really cool. Like you don't get it yet. Um, and, and I think it's only evolved from there to to be what it is. But yeah, this uh, opportunity to kind of connect people in a new and unique way and to experience collectively things and, and know how this device like enables that, I think is a, makes it such a cool piece of our generation. I think we're going to look back on, you know, smartphones and tech in like, uh, you know, 20, 50 years and be like, that was like, you know, the car coming out in the early 1900s, you know, cars and airplanes and stuff. So like the smartphone is going to be the thing that was just like, kind of ancient in 50 years, but that was such an integral part of that generation's uh, journey. So Definitely. So what can you tell me about greenhouse gas emissions that are generated by the telecoms industry? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can tell you a lot. We could use up one hour podcast probably just on that. But, you know, I can, I can <laughs> tell you one of the things, one of the things that's most interesting about it is how little everyone knows about it and how big of an impact it actually has on, in, in my opinion, on the the climate crisis that we're facing. And you start to see that like the data points haven't really been connected properly in some, in some ways. Right. So, so for instance, there's some really in-depth studies from, you know, highly qualified climate scientists that are saying a Google search, um, it takes a 0.2 grams per Google search of CO2 emissions. And that doesn't sound like a lot until you say like, uh, let's see here. Is, no, that's searches. a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So every day in uh, Google searches, there's like 150 million Google searches per day or something like this, uh, or 150 billion, something like that. I know it calculates down to about 1 million tons of CO2 just on Google, like Google searches per day. Um, and And then that's not even like once you search for something, of course, you click through to whatever you searched for and you view that website and you scroll on it and you load the images and you, you know, and all this kind of thing. Right. And so, so you start to understand like just our Google search traffic accounts for this huge chunk of CO2 emissions. Um, 
there's this one uh, article that like did in-depth research onto YouTube and they were like this one YouTube video, uh, Despacito by Justin Bieber, right? Um, right, right been streamed right. at that time. It was like 5.5 billion times or something like this. But this one video's CO2 emission was the same as seven countries from Africa produce in one year. Uh, and you're just like, you're looking at that like side by side. So like this one video, and then you start to look at how many videos are uploaded every day to YouTube. This video call that we're having right now, you know, um, all these actions mm -hmm. uh, that we take, they come out with a carbon footprint of, you know, this call will take 23 grams of CO2, something like this. But, right. you know, there's millions of people doing this right now at this exact moment and times that per day, per month, per year. And you start to see like, okay, this is, um, this is something that we should start looking into, at least having a conversation about. So that's what we try to do a little bit with, with my company right now is it's not also only that, but, but just to make people more aware of the impact technology um, and its production is basically having on the planet and how we can use it in slightly more responsible ways. Definitely. So, I mean, I, I feel like going about it in the way of like decarbonizing data centers would be the way to fix that. As soon as you brought up Google, I'm thinking YouTube. And then when I start thinking YouTube, that's like the behemoth. But even like Netflix streaming, you know, that's like terabytes of data, probably just in one city every single day. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, people don't understand how that works. Is it like data centers that are powered by different things? Is that where we would kind of focus if we wanted to fix that? Am I right or no? Uh, yes and no. I mean, like right now what's happening is that like they are getting offset. So a lot of the companies are trying to start offsetting programs where they, you know, plant a tree, do X, Y, Z. Google's kind of thing, doing right? that. Um, yeah, so, so Google's doing that. The problem comes in by them not being very transparent about, um, I would say, how that all translates. And this is like one, you know, the use of like one aspect of it. But I think where we can also trans like make some pretty big impacts is by um, helping people understand their individual impact and, and reduce it and, and uh, reward them for reducing it, for instance. So, you know, if last week you used or last month you used 20 gigabytes of data, you know, and you can see where you use that data and how, and, you know, you can optimize your apps. You can kind of take a few seconds and just like, you know, it, your your emails don't uh, you know try to refresh and get your emails and pull them every five minutes, but it does it you know every hour, every three hours. And if everybody did that, that would have a huge difference, right? But nobody's thinking like, oh, you know, I'm 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 making this impact by you know uh, getting my emails every two minutes exactly. So so there's like small things that I think also that we can you know it's kind of like turning off the light switch. You know, it's like yeah, of course we can try to have green energy and green power, but we should still turn off the lights when we when we leave the house, right? Uh, and uh, and that makes a big difference on even the strain on those systems if we try to switch them over to green energy or things like this. And um, so so I, I see there's like of course yeah we need to fix it at the source, but um, yeah I think the habit changes also would make a quite a big difference. Sure, and then if you look at your um, screen time and see that you were on Instagram for three and a half hours today, you might consider maybe not doing that if you don't think it's like super beneficial to your life, but that's up to yeah. each individual. So um, where did the exactly. idea for Worthmore come from and then how does the company work? Yeah, so I don't think I actually introduced Worthmore yet, so I'll kind of rewind that a little bit. But uh, so okay. Worthmore, uh, oh, Worthmore right. started during the uh, 2020 like uh, COVID pandemic. Um, you know, I basically my company uh, crashed. Uh, I actually. I also had a break with that girl from Denmark. So it's like, uh, you know, we were together for like six years, but still it's like everything kind of coming together at one point, right? We were just like, okay, what am I doing with my life here? Should I go back? Should I still do this entrepreneurship Perfect. thing? <laughs> Should I get a normal job and just be normal for a little while? Like, you know, but uh, of course uh, that was never going to happen. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, I was like, you know, I think that me as a person, I'm pretty good at um, – bringing people together towards a common vision and, you know, and help and building something like anything. Uh, and I was like, basically I want to build my skills, use my skill sets to build something that's worth more, uh, that has like more purpose and more value behind it and this kind of thing. And the, you know, and the, the phrase worth more kept coming in. It was like, so I want to build worth more. Like that's the company name. And it just happened to be a free domain. And I, so I think it started with this, uh, this name. And then also the industry I was working in before, which was, um, basically comparing all the different ways you could get rid of, sell, donate, recycle your used phones. Um, so 
we had like an aggregator where you could say, I have a crack screen iPhone 8, uh, how much is it worth? And you'd see all the different companies that would buy it or what they would do with it and pick one. And then we were like an affiliate model to them. Uh, we got paid by those companies. Uh, COVID made that business model very difficult. It was like being a sky scanner during COVID. And uh, being a sky scanner during COVID is not so great. The planes aren't flying, you know, that's basically what was happening with us. It's like <laughs> nobody's doing anything. Um, so we wanted to integrate this whole worth more concept into a, uh, you know, not throw it out entirely, but figure out how do we kind of shape it into a purpose-driven thing. Um, and what we did is we actually decided that one of the things is most people still weren't giving us their phones. I actually still had phones in my drawer, even though I built this service. And so I was like, why does that happen? Actually, like, I know the problem, but I haven't used my own product. Uh, so what, what's going on? Um, and I found that I didn't really care about the little bit of cash. Like I'd rather maybe just have a backup or leave it in the drawer. Like, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, we decided to partner with a bunch of different charity organizations and then use their marketing and mission to kind of motivate people to pull the phones out of the drawer and do something. So the original version of Worthmore was that like, uh, it was a buyback program where the charity would call you up and say, Hey, you know, uh, you can actually uh, make the world a greener place and give some money to our cause. If you simply click this link, um, and donate the used phones sitting in your drawer. Uh, so we had a bunch of people doing that. Where they would click the link and then we would process the phones. Um, we would pay the charity the same amount that they would have gotten paid if the user had, say, given their phone into Swappy or given it into their telecom provider. Maybe the telecom would pay you, you know, 50 euros for your phone or $50 for your phone. We would do the, would do the same, but that $50 would go to the charity instead. Um, and then we, of course, would make money by fixing the devices and making them worth more, which tied in the whole story and the name and branding and everything. Um, so, so that was working quite well. Uh, we did that for basically the majority of 2021, but it was very campaign driven. And, uh, you know, like we'd have a good campaign, then we'd uh, sort of have to go to the next round and always be chasing someone. And I felt if I walked away from this right now, the whole company would die within like two months because like we were just always hustling to try to get the next check-in. Uh, I wanted to fix that. Uh, so basically, uh, in January of this year, we decided to work with a more uh, subscription-based model where we actually are building and developing the SIM cards that go inside of the phones as well and making it a whole full-service um, telco. So instead of just being the uh, place where you can donate your used phones, you can also now buy secondhand devices from us on subscription, uh, so like refurbished phones with a two-year warranty and things like this but only secondhand ones. So we're kind of taking from the uh, circular economy. Um, and then you can also mm -hmm. power that phone with a, with a SIM card that is uh, calculating and offsetting the carbon emissions that you produce while you use it. So the idea is to be the most yeah. sustainable and uh, yeah, the most sustainable and circular telecom provider um, that exists uh, from start to finish, providing a sort of end to end solution uh, that allows people to kind of make an impact um, and we actually, the tagline for Worthmore is connect with purpose. And the final part of this whole uh, kind of journey is that we did some research and we found that actually people found it very hard to give to these organizations or decide which climate kind of focused things they wanted to support. Um, so a portion of each person's bill between 20 and 60 Danish krona, which is about two to 10 euros, um, goes to an impact pool where each month the community votes on where they want to offset or make a difference in the world. So every every month you get with your cell phone bill, you get the opportunity to vote on which kind of thing you want to see happen as a community. And then everybody's aggregated uh, contribution gets split between the different things so that the bill for your phone is just driving positive change each and every month for the exact same price as you currently pay for your cell phone subscription here in Denmark. So that's our sort of zebra business model for purpose and profits kind of connecting all these dots into one i would say vision of connecting with purpose yeah it's like one of the coolest <laughs> things i've probably ever heard i'm not gonna lie it's, it's <laughs> thanks man. That, yeah thanks, man. i mean the first the first model was is is what it was it's interesting enough it's good to reduce the waste stream but this new model that you're working on is i i'm just that's fantastic i want to i want to like i want to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I want to just uh, like use that. Yeah, I just want to use that clip, like uh, like put it on LinkedIn later. Like like that is the coolest bro, idea. Bro, clip out. <laughs> no, but thank you, man. I appreciate bro, it. Bro, clip clip out whatever you want, man. 
clip out whatever you want, bro. I mean, I'll give you the the 1080p thing. It's all yours. Um, I do. Want, are you are you familiar with with Simon Sinek's work at all? He's an American consultant yeah. and influencer. Or yeah. No? Start start with why so, kind of guy. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? What is your why? What's What's guiding you to make these decisions to lead your business down this path? Yeah. So I think that uh, it's a very good question, but I think you know. I feel that uh, I'm on a mission to prove that businesses can be for purpose and profit in a VC world. Um, I think that, you know, there's ways to basically make money and do good. And I want to be a role model and kind of, uh, you know, even further on down the line, be able to invest and kind of grow companies like this at scale. Um, I think there's hundreds of different ways to find innovation within your business to basically uh, yeah drive change and see and make further impact than just your bottom line so so i think my why is really a lot tied into that is helping support and grow and build these types of visions um that uh, hopefully grow and scale like you know i think the zebra can be more powerful than the unicorn basically and that's also what i really love about the nordics is that i feel it's sort of the the home of the zebras um and it's like a place that really could be fostering and breeding these types of companies at scale, much the way Silicon Valley does today. Um, and I want to be kind of at that foundation level and pushing that kind of forward as what we stand for on this side of the of the water. You know. So when you say zebra, you're talking about a striped business that exists for both purpose and profit, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think okay, that there's cool. such a unique, uh, it's such a unique um, timing right now. We kind of talked a little bit before, you know, I think it's kind of the renaissance of businesses understanding that they actually have a quite mm -hmm. big role in, in what the future looks like, um, you know, and I think some businesses are doing it right now just because they feel they have to. Um, but I do feel the startup businesses that are, we're going to start to see like coming out, the brand new guys, um, I think a lot of them are going to have this integrated into their DNA, uh, I hope. Um, and, uh, and I think that's going to make a really big difference in the next like 10, 15 years as these kind of companies mature and, and grow and evolve into market leaders. Um, we're going to see how much of a difference that can really make in a lot of different problems in the world, not just uh, climate change. Yeah, I mean, I think it can fix all of them personally, but I am the the naive optimist that that is who I am. But we are seeing indicators all over the world of industry changing. Um, industry is really how we organize our lives. We all have we all have jobs or we live on the street and, and do nothing, some people. But um, we all have jobs and that's how we spend a really great majority of our time. That's how we organize our, our uh, potential for innovation and creativity and, and create new things. And that's why I really... Well, the, to be honest, the, one of the main reasons I, I focus on business-oriented solutions is because I don't want to get into politics and telling people what to do. But the second reason is because I think it has a larger potential to really change the world. Like People don't think about necessarily a presidential speech, at least in this day and age. They think about someone like Martin Luther King. And I suppose that wasn't he wasn't really running a, a business per se. But we also think of people like... Kanye West or Kendrick Lamar just dropped a new album and they say something really profound in their music and that's their business. It's more culture. It's more freeing than than government. But I, I can go in yeah. a huge rabbit hole on that. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering how does the how does yes, yeah, how does the um, the carbon footprint for the phone calculation work when you put the SIM card into the phone? How does it calculate the the greenhouse gas impact of the device? Yeah, so so it, uh, basically right now the way it works is that, you know, if you kind of go into your phone and your settings, you can see which apps are using how much data and, you know, what how much screen time and stuff like this. Um, we can tap into that through the app that we've built along with our SIM card and kind of add these two yeah, things nice. together to create a sort of digital carbon footprint calculator automatically. Um, so we kind of aggregate all of this. And then, and then also what we want to do, I mean, this is still in the MVP phase, but we want to even showcase like which apps or which companies are doing green things, you know, to help already. So, you know, for instance, Google or Netflix or whatever, are they, you know, are they trying to take actions to offset their carbon emissions or things like this and, and you know, and integrate that into our calculation of, of what is going on as well. Um, and really the idea there is mostly just about transparency within this space. Uh, uh, you know, like, just like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cowspiracy, 
but it was like, you know, talking about the meat industry and how the meat industry is impacting the, yeah, how the meat industry is impacting the planet and how much, how bad beef is for, you know, like carbon emissions and this kind of thing. Um, And uh, we want to be kind of like the cowspiracy for technology and for phones in some ways where we, you know, we're not trying to turn everybody, you know, overnight, you know, into climate activists, but we're just saying, you know, hey, turn off, turn off the light switch when you, when you leave the, the, you know, when you leave the house. Um, this is the ways you can do very simple actions on your phone to reduce your emissions by like 40 percent. Um, you know, and if everybody does wow. that, uh, you know, and everybody has a phone, you can like overnight, like without doing very much, um, make a difference. And I think a lot of people want to do that. They just don't have the information or the knowledge. Uh, to even take those first steps. So uh, so that's kind of, I think, one of our missions is that. And then you know, tying that into not just the doomsday scenario, but actual action through the impact pool is, is something that we, um, yeah, that, that I'm personally quite excited to see like grow and scale and, you know, something I'm, I'm happy to build and a legacy that I want to leave behind, you know, so. Yeah, well, you're getting me excited here, over here too, man. I mean, people don't <laughs> even realize... Um, I mean, they're probably producing emissions in their sleep as their email app is automatically set to refresh all night long and their texts and everything when it's just unnecessary. And, and the more you can automate that process, like nobody's going to care if their emails don't come in at night, but as soon as they wake up, it refreshes then. So there, you know how I have like a do not disturb that goes on at nine 30 and turns off at 5am. Like nobody's going to care if their phone doesn't ring when they don't need it to ring. And then if that saves the planet, I think a lot of people will be into that, but the key is really making it as easy as possible for them and automating it exactly. so they don't even have to think about it. And that's that's one exactly. of the, the ideas behind my business is, is that you can do everything you would have done in your real estate transaction and there's this extra bonus. You don't even have you don't have to worry about the climate impact just by choosing your real estate agent through my company or whatever. So so I, I am curious, I, I love the the community model and the voting model for the projects, but are these projects more focused on offsets or are they focused on decarbonizing different sectors in the economy? How are you choosing which projects to put into that pool for people to vote on? So, so this is right now, we've just got a few partnerships that we've built up. Like we're still in our early phase, but ideally what we want to do is that two things, the impact pool would not only be climate action. Uh, so this is one thing. Um, we want to see like, where do people actually want to drive positive change? And we think that can be in many different areas, uh, of people's lives. Um, so that's why we, we even updated or kind of changed our tagline to connect with purpose, right? Because it was like, whatever that purpose is, whatever you see, um, or we as a community see needs, uh, support and resources, um, we should be kind of d- fixing that, you know? And, and I think that makes it a little bit more flexible. Um, and also voting on which companies get in, you know, like putting companies forward, creating profiles that, you know, um, the community wants to work with and has vetted themselves. Uh, you know, we're just a small team right here, but if we feel, you know, if we have thousands of subscribers who, who are the type of people who really, you know, really care about this and their carbon footprint and want to, you know, make all the right actions, um, having that opportunity to share and showcase and bring forward different projects and, and maybe even the pros and cons of different projects and make it, you know, more informed decisions around what should and should not be supported. Um, I think that's something that we really want to integrate into our product as it sort of evolves. Um, so in the initial phases, it's just offsets. It's, uh, you know, we're also looking into carbon soil capture. Um, so it's like a little bit mm-hmm. more like, I would say, immediate or guaranteed in some ways. But there's there's a lot of things that, of that part of the product that we know can and will be improved as we kind of grow and, and, and move along the chain. So have you ever heard of the website sellshark.com? Sellshark? Sellshark, yeah. No, I haven't heard of them. No, no, I haven't heard of them. So I don't know. I mean, God, I got, wow. I graduated like almost five years ago now, but I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, almost like five, wow. And um, I had an old MacBook and it like was really annoying. And I went, I was able to go on sellshark.com and sell it. So I guess my question to you is like, and I also, I had an old iPhone maybe three or four years ago where it was old and I just brought it to the local King Supers grocery store 
put it in a machine and the machine gave me 20 bucks. So, so I wanted to ask you, how are you like the best place to sell your phone? And then what, what is like the, com- the competition for other people who, if they want to get rid of their old devices, what are the alternatives and how do you compare to that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's right now there's like thousands of way of ways of getting rid of your used phone. That's basically what my company was doing before, right? Was comparing, you know, Hey, there's a kiosk down the road. You can drop your phone in and it gives you $20. Or if you mail it into these guys, they'll give you $35 or, you know, in our case, if you donate it, um, this $35 will go towards an organization you choose. So really our kind okay. of competitive angle or our difference is that we feel a lot of these devices, one, um, a majority of them aren't worth much to anything. So, you know, it's motivating to go down to the kiosk. If you're going to get $50, $100, it's not so much if you're going to get five. Um, but a charity yeah. getting a $5 donation times however many phones like that are lying around is, is quite a big impact. Um, so, so that's, you know, a, a kind of a niche where we take these phones that aren't really worth a lot, then, you know, of course, we're one of the best places for that, you know, to kind of make sure that those resources that are inside the phone are put back to good use in, in the best way possible. Um, so I think that is one area where the devices and the target devices that we're getting, um, nobody else is dealing with. You're still buying when it comes to, from consumers, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, we phone collect. Phone. We yeah. We we yeah. We collect them. The consumer doesn't get any money, but the charity does. Uh, so that's the that's the thing. Okay. Um. So okay, that's uh, um um. And then when it, when it comes to like you know um more expensive devices and things like that, you know it really depends on the person's individual motivation. Were they going to make a donation to a charity? Um. You know, if it's a really expensive phone, we can offset like give them a, a certificate of the donated amount so they can kind of offset their taxes or whatever. So there's a lot of different things, but the, the main thing is that when you work through us, it's a, it's going to donation or a good cause. Um, and for the exact same amount that the other companies would have paid you. So you of course could say, yeah, I could have donated it myself, but not really because then you would have had to sell it and take the cash and then take the cash and donate it to the charity. And that kind of process is automated. Um, and then when it comes to also our go-to-market strategy and how we reach out to people and things like this, again, the big thing was that while people can go down to the kiosk down the street and, you know, and turn it in, the majority of people don't. They have their old phones lying in their drawer and they just don't really care to take that time. Um, our go-to-market and kind of distribution channel was that the charity called you up and reminded you and said, hey, like, you know, you've already donated money to us last month. Um, this month we're doing a campaign to save the planet and, you know, contribute to our cause again. If you have old phones lying around, it's as simple as clicking this link and getting the envelope and converting that phone into money for us. So uh, if you'd like to do that, like, you know, and I think that was like a really big difference because all of a sudden, you know, you, that phone wasn't $20 wasted in the drawer anymore. That phone was, you know, food for a child for a month or something like that. And then it becomes a little bit different motivating factor as to why you should even care about you know, taking that out and doing something about it in the first place. Um, and so making that process as simple and easy and kind of changing the motivations from a little bit of money to driving positive change is really our angle in the space. And we don't really see a competitor um, uh, right now anyway okay. that does what we do. Right. So for this new product that you're offering, are, do these can anyone use these SIM cards or does it have to be used on used phones? No, anybody can use these SIM cards. They can be put into any device uh, um, that takes a SIM card. So, um, but which is right. most of them. Um, but but yeah, we we only sell through our website uh, secondhand phones as a part of our mission okay, and you know agenda. But uh, but yeah, if you have a phone that you already have, you can just swap the SIM cards out and and hop on the Worth More network. Uh, we can also move your number over for free and stuff like that. Like all the things that a big telco can do, we can do for you. Okay, so I was on Verizon for many years, and recently I went to the Xfinity store, who is the internet provider for Boulder, Colorado, in my house. We're, we're, we're on Xfinity internet right now, and they convinced me to switch to their mobile service because they use the same cell towers as Verizon, so I get the same service, but it's provided by Xfinity. So who is providing your cell service with Worthmore? Yeah. Yeah, so right now we're actually in the U.S. We, we won't be operational yet for a little while, uh, but it's a very similar right. model. We work with something called Telnor in Denmark. It's the it's like the Verizon of, mm-hmm. you know, Denmark and, and Sweden and this kind of area. Awesome. So, so, 
so we use their same exact towers. We have the same exact service. Um, yeah, we have no limitations on that. Uh, you know, and also we're putting together in Europe. I don't know, like maybe when you were over here, you got like a Labara or like a mobile card. I don't know if you maybe you signed up for one of those when you were when you were here, but. Uh, Vodafone? Yeah, vo- yeah, Vodafone, exactly. Like, you know, one of these SIMs you just buy from the store and pop in the phone and, you know, then you have a number. Um, it will be much like that. The only difference is that, like, most of those guys, they only have, uh, like, roaming data when you travel outside of the country you're in. Um, one unique part about us as well is that we're pushing ourselves much closer to the the full service telco. You can call, text, use data from other countries and things like this uh, seamlessly. Um, and we're able to do that because we bill ourselves as a little bit more premium product. Um, mm-hmm. All the other early providers are fighting, or like SIM cards, they're called MVNOs, uh, mobile virtual network operators. They really are competing on price and price alone right now and trying to add like small amounts of service or these kind of things. Uh, we uh, placed ourselves much more premium on the market than uh, others, and that'll be interesting to see how that plays out as we kind of uh, grow our pricing structure down the line. And where are you providing coverage at the moment? Um, so right now, uh, we plan to launch in both Denmark and Sweden um, uh, by by this summer. So the first SIM cards are actually supposed to go out this, uh, hopefully on my birthday, which is uh, July 18th. I want to I want to have like a nice. you know a party where I put my I put my SIM card in my phone and I'm just like we're you know we're live you know that's uh, that's my my goal at the moment. Awesome. So we'll see how how that goes. <laughs> Definitely. So, so how's everything else coming along? So you sounds like you have a pretty intense launch coming up in the summer. So what does your day to day look like? How's everything been evolving? So it sounds like you're in the middle, middle of a, a decent pivot to a, a really, a, a more, a, a model that's more intriguing to me at the very least. And I think it has a lot, a lot larger potential for impact. So uh, yeah. how, how's it going? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, it's startups, right? So you go through all these kind of things and trying to figure out like, I feel like I'm building the airplane on the way down. When, you know, we went into this uh, mission back in January, it was like, you know, we're we're nearing the end of our sort of runway. Um, we're kind of looking at how do we, you know, we're making money in like little chunks, but it's not really enough to say like we're a successful business. And then we're looking at like, okay, what do we, what do we do? Let's build a SIM card. Um, and if, uh, I remember telling my investors and, you know, my team and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to build a telco now. You know, like, you know, like how, like, how are you even going to, what is the first step in that? Right. How big um, is the team? Uh, so right now we are three full-time people and a couple of interns as well. Um, so, so it's, awesome. uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun, but, uh, but yeah, so, and, and at that point it was just me and my CTO back in uh, January when we were kind of doing this. Um, and of course my investors and the partners and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, we've kind of, uh, I would say it's funny how fast things have moved and progressed with a very small budget and, uh, sort of, uh, let's call it like, uh, you know, like I said, building the airplane on the way down being like, yeah, it's just gonna work. Uh, of course it'll work. <laughs> and, you know, that's just, uh, I think that's just the startup okay. journey a lot of times. So my day to day is convincing everybody it's going to work. <laughs> Yeah, I'm convinced. As like I said, sm- small business, small small team, small budget, endless amount of heart, man. Yeah. It could take you. It could take you to the moon and back. No, no, exactly. no way around that. Exactly. Um, how how are you using what you've learned from your work at previous startups to increase your efficiency and likelihood of success? I think a big part of it is uh, understanding the what actually matters towards making a business versus making a good idea. Um, I think this is like, I've had a lot of good ideas that weren't necessarily good businesses. Um, and I think that uh, learnings have kind of translated into what do we actually need? You know, how do we, for instance, how do you build something that has predictable monthly recurring revenue? How do you, you know, um, which types of business models work and why? Why do investors love B2B and subscription things and SaaS? Well, it's because it's like, it's a good business, you know, like, uh, and if you can attach a good idea to a good business, then even better. Right. But even bad ideas with the, the good business models, like are more successful than good ideas with bad business models. Um, so, so I think I've been learning a lot about that and trying to figure out how to build business models into my good ideas. And that's kind of what ha- Worthmore has sort of evolved into, I would say over the, the course of this uh, last year and a half. 
It's definitely a challenge. So um, how many people have signed <laughs> up so far and and why? Why do you think people are signing up? Yeah. So we have about uh, 2,800 people on our mailing list to, for when the SIM cards go live. So it's uh, pretty good, especially since we have that's organic. We haven't done actually any paid marketing or advertising. Um, and I think a big part of it is that actually it's uh, it's the people who were coming from the charities. So the, the partner organizations we have and the people who have already donated phones to us and wanted to, you know, kind of be continue to be a part of our, our journey and our growth. And, you know, the thing is, is if the bill is exactly the same price, but, uh, you know, you're doing something better for the planet, much like you and your business, as you're saying, you know, it's like it's going to be the same process. You know, you can you're going to get the same service. You're going to get the same phone number and no, nobody's going to know the difference. You're just going to know. Uh, that each month, uh, you know, you're supporting positive actions and that's done automatically for you. Um, and, uh, yeah, and you want to kind of be a part of that community and, and driving those positive changes. So, um, that's our target audience and our niche. And what we're really trying to go for is, you know, these people who want to make just small, easy, simple changes to make a quite big difference in, uh, you know, as a, as a group, uh, we can drive some real real crazy positive change i hope cool well i think you're on to something big man um thank you i appreciate I want to ask you before we sign off yeah you got it bro if if there's you think it's ever possible that we can bring mobile services or telecoms i want i wanted to say fully carbon neutral um but maybe just very low carbon without the use of offsets? Is the technology capable of being low carbon? I would say no at the moment. Um, it takes an immense amount of power to do the things that we do on our devices. And even like if you were to be claiming that, you would be forgetting something along the supply chain, I feel. And I feel like everybody who claims to be carbon neutral is forgetting something along the supply chain. You know, I mean... <laughs> So, so I think that uh, you know, even if you if you want to say, yeah, you know, the chips were the chips were super, a hundred times more efficient than they are today. Even it's right, okay, like then how did the chip get made? You know, was there a diesel truck taking the silicon from whatever mining factory over to make that chip happen? And then you know, so so I think you know, if you yeah, no matter what, uh, there's a lot of energy that goes into this uh, into this industry, um, and it's very difficult to get a fully transparent picture over how the whole thing works. Um, and so we are very aware of that as well. And we try to claim to be, you know, uh, bringing at least our individual use um, to a transparent level from just the use standpoint. But even then you look into the production of the devices, you look into charging your device, you look into um, yeah, uh, your headphones that go with the device, like all these different kind of things, right? You know, the Bluetooth connection between the two, um, all of this stuff. If you really want to dive into it, you can always find where energy is being uh, created or destroyed. So <laughs> it's uh, it's a difficult one, but I think that we can make a very, very, very big impact through small, uh, small, simple changes. Um, and, uh, and I think a majority of people would want to do that. And, and I do think it should even start at the top with Apple and Android and this kind of things making, you know, their software automatically do a lot of things that help this. Um, but that call has to come from a place of informed consumers. Um, and I think once people know what's going on, um, that could be really cool. And a grand vision for Worthmore would be even to, you know, let's say we are very successful and we scale would be to create the device when when you, you know, are be, yeah exactly exactly thank you for that <laughs> so it would be would be to create the device you know like there's device like fairphone there's device like this where you can you know kind of go into that area and then you know let's live the childhood dream of designing the next iphone but it's the next uh, phone that's worth more the worth more one you know uh, and uh, and kind of build into the full device the kind of you know taking full transparency and putting into what actually it it takes to make this thing work and operate and, and be produced even. And I think that would be a very cool statement. And by then, maybe it's not even the smartphone, but whatever it is, like maybe it'd be, uh, it'd be really cool to, in general, make technology that we use more circular, more sustainable, 
um, and more uh, easy to and more transparent, I would say is the right word. Yeah. Keep the dream going, man. Never stop. I like it. Bringing it back to the the beginning of the conversation. Bring it back to the beginning, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the dream, right? So, yeah. We'll just keep it going, man. I love, I love the angle that you take coming, coming from the heart. It's, I think it's really important. I think it's going to sell a lot more to our generation than previous generations. I think people really do care more now. They want to have make informed decisions with their, with their dollars. And I did want to comment and say that, um, just because something's using a lot of energy doesn't mean it has to be carbon intensive. That's kind of like the big challenge we're facing now is is decarbonizing the energy system. And I think we will reach a point where we're producing clean energy, whether it's solar, wind, hydro, or um, what's it called? The, uh, the, the crazy nuclear thing that they've been saying is going to be here <laughs> in 20 years, every 20 years. Fusion. Not, yeah, fusion. You know what I'm talking about? The... Uh, yeah, fusion or something we can't even think of, like turning pure love into energy. I don't know. But uh, Tegan, <laughs> Tegan, you're the man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Do you have any uh, final pieces of advice for young folks who are passionate about building a better world? Yeah, man. I think uh, start by turning pure love into energy. That's a great one, man. Like, I mean, I think actually you can go Boom, a lot baby. of places with <laughs> you can go you can go a lot of places with a little bit of care. Uh, you know, that's I think even where the phrase you know like there's things money can't buy and things like this. Uh, I think just a little bit of that can actually take any kind of uh, person looking to start their own business or entrepreneurial journey, like start with caring um, and you'll already have a currency that can, you know, take you so much further than um, just the first dollars in and, and help you even find the first dollars to to start your mission and really make it a, a vision for everybody to enjoy. So that's my, my last piece of advice, I would say. Totally. Well put, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast <laughs> and Plenty of other Danish girls out there in the, in the city who I'm sure <laughs> would love to date an entrepreneur. So uh, thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, where are you? Are you are you in Copenhagen or somewhere or somewhere else? Yeah, yeah I'm sitting in Copenhagen now, so I'm actually uh, in the office in Kongsnytorp okay. area. So yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, plenty of plenty of opportunities out there. I have to come and visit one day. But Tegan, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thank you. Have a good one. Got it. All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrealty.org today.